People who are regarded as truly wise are the ones who are sought out for advice and for help. But if that person doesn't live a life that aligns with their words, then their advice is just going to ring hollow. The good conversation in verse 13 is the whole practice of a person's life. Not just who you are today or who you are tomorrow or who you are at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. I was, at a, I was at a builder's conference one time. I think it was in Indiana. Anyway, doesn't matter about that. The speaker was, uh, he was a, a contractor, pretty large contractor in that state. And out of all the things he said, and he talked about building a lot, he talked about the economics of it, he talked about the practical aspects of it. But out of that whole thing, the only thing I remember that he said was, if you're not going to be a Christian through the week, don't bother being one on Sunday. That's your conversation. Not just how you are on Sunday, but how you are through the week as well. Now, at this point, let me say this. This idea of a good conversation does measure the life and the actions of a person. But we ought to be careful not to discard or not to disregard or disqualify someone over a singular act or a singular snapshot in time out of their life. I think of Jay's example of Peter. He says, what do you think of, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when I mention Peter to you? And invariably, most people think about the fact that he denied Jesus. And that's true, he did. And if you look at that snapshot, then he's a bad dude. But if you look at the totality of his life and his conversation... Man, there's plenty there that is of, of benefit to us. George Bush made a statement one time in a speech he was giving, and I really agree with it. He said, we tend to judge other people by their worst actions and ourselves by our best intentions. Think about that for a second. In this idea of true wisdom... It won't be found simply in good ideas and lofty words, but in good and useful actions. In the scriptural sense, someone who thinks well and speaks well can't really be regarded as truly wise unless they also live well and act well. James deals with this in verses 14 through 16. But if, if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom is descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. I read a lot after... Uh, Matthew Henry, and he had something in particular to say about this. I'd like to read, read it straight out because I can't quote it. He said, it, it is a great instance of wisdom prudently to bridle our own anger and to patiently bear 
the anger of others. And as wisdom will evidence itself in meekness, so meekness will be a great friend to wisdom. For nothing hinders the regular apprehension, the solid judgment and impartiality of thought necessary to our acting wisely so much as passion. When we're mild and calm, we are best able to hear reason and best able to speak it. Wisdom produces meekness, and meekness increases wisdom. I think that's kind of like the, the old saying about experience. What is it? Judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. I, I, I think that's kind of the country way of saying that. I mean, you know, if you, well, to extend that further, I guess you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. You know, that's kind of how we express it. But, but you get the idea. If you are careful in your actions and you're careful in your words, if you're careful in your thoughts, you gain that life experience and you are able to apply that in the afterwards. What's he saying here? He's saying to patiently listen to a matter or to thoughtfully consider a situation before you jump to a rash conclusion. He says that, he said, nothing hinders the regular apprehension, the solid judgment, and impartiality of thought necessary to our acting wisely so much as passion. Now, there are things that we should be passionate about, without question. But rendering a snap judgment or a quick decision is not one of those things. Be calm in your manner. I think it's working now. <laughs> no problem. Be calm in your manner and thoughtful in your assessment. Verse 14 contains an interesting phrase here. It says, lie not against the truth. Now we like to pretend and we like to puff ourselves up. As I said earlier, we judge ourselves by our best intentions, but we also judge ourselves by our best ideals. But if we could just stop and take a clear look, we'd realize that we have plenty of reasons to stop pretending and to not glory in ourselves. If we have any glory at all, it's through Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 15. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Just as true wisdom must be a combination of knowledge and judgment, it also has to be centered on God. Used in the wrong fashion, if we're lording over others, if we're being spiteful, that brings shame on our profession of Christianity and it brings a reproach on the body of Christ. So in verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now think about this verse as kind of a, a timeline or a progression and that'll be clear in a minute. 
Envy and strife are the opposite of meekness and wisdom. The heart is the seed of both. Envy, strife, meekness, and wisdom all come from the heart. But envy and wisdom cannot be present at the same time in the same heart. It just can't do it. True, true wisdom will expose envy and bitterness and drive it out. Or envy and strife will overshadow wisdom. Envying comes first and that breeds strife. Look back at the verse. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. First you have envy. That brings forth strife. Strife is excused with self-righteousness. Well, I, I had a reason to feel that way. I had a reason to say that. I had a reason to be mad at so and so. This opens the door to confusion, and confusion opens the door to what James is calling every evil work. When we give over to malice or envy or contention, we're living in that confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So I'm going, to, I'm going to extend this to say that if envy is the opposite of wisdom, then confusion must be the opposite of peace. And you're going to have one or the other. Living in this way puts us at odds with God. It even puts us at odds with ourselves. Think about uh, the times that you are or that you have that you have had that turmoil on the inside of you for whatever reason, whatever offense, either real or imagined. You just roll it over and you roll it over and you roll it over and you can't let go of it, and you're just you're just you're torn up on the inside and you can't get away from it. But when you do come to terms with that, you bring that to the Lord and he takes it from you, you give it to him and he takes it from you. Now you have peace. But just like you won't have envy and wisdom, you won't have confusion and peace at the same time. Living in this way puts us at odds with God and even ourselves and opens us to what verse 16 refers to as every evil work. If we back up to verse 15 for a minute, we see that the origin of this is not godly or heavenly. Lost my place here. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Plainly says that this wisdom does not come from heaven. It goes on to say that it's earthly, sensual, devilish. In other words, this type of wisdom is a product of this world. And being a product of this world, it will act on earthly principles and it will accomplish earthly motives. 
as a result of that, if we're lifted up in ourselves and we're filled with such wisdom, then we fall under condemnation of the devil. Now, Brother Marvin Ward, he was the pastor here for a long time, and one of the things that he always said was, tell me what's wrong with me. Beat me over the head with it if you have to, but don't leave it there. Tell me what I can do about that. I know you all remember that. Give me the bad news, but give me the fix for it as well. Well, let's look at verse 17 because that here's how you fix it. But wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. If we take a close look at this verse, it gives us the contrast between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. And we'll see that true wisdom consists of several things. It's not gained by conversation with men. It's from above. Now, much of what we learn comes from conversation. It comes from reading. It comes from listening to teachers. But one component of true wisdom that we've talked about is spiritual discernment. You don't get that by talking to people. You don't get that by, well... I won't say you don't get that by reading your Bible, but you don't get that by reading, pick what you want. That only comes to the child of God. It's first pure. There's no self-serving motive. There's no behind-the-scenes planning. True wisdom comes from and points to Jesus Christ. The next phrase says that true wisdom is peaceable. Now when I, when I read that, the choice of words right there struck me as kind of unusual. Peaceable is not a word that, I mean, work that into the conversation. You know what I mean? So I thought about that. Why did it not? Just say true wisdom is peaceful. Because when you think of the peace of God, you think about that peaceful sense of being that you have. Well, if we consult Mr. Webster again, we're going to find that peaceable means disposed to peace, not contentious or quarrelsome. So let's think about that for a second. Even the most quarrelsome guy in town can be peaceful if he's by himself. If he's alone and there's nobody around to quarrel with, he can be peaceful. Now, he's not given to peace. He's not given to avoiding conflict or contention. So he's peaceful. He's not peaceable. So if you look at that in that sense, that choice of words makes sense. If you have a peaceable nature, there's no quarrelsomeness, there's no strife in you to stir up. 
So in every situation, in every walk of life, and this is from the common man to the king, heavenly wisdom makes a person peaceable. It takes that quarrelsome nature out of you. It takes that, the strife. It takes the contrariness, I guess, to put it in country terms. It just takes it out of you. The next thing that true wisdom is, is gentle. It's not rude. It's not overbearing. <coughs> Excuse me. We're not overbearing in our, in our interactions with other people. It's not harsh. It's not cruel in temperament. Heavenly wisdom is also easy to be entreated. The case for good or the case for evil can be easily made. Now, this is not the easiness that gives in to every new idea and everything that comes along. But it's a wise discernment that makes us able to identify what is godly and what is not. True wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. It's predisposed to that which is good. And it's also ready to forgive instead of taking offense. True wisdom is without partiality. There's a Greek word for this that I can't pronounce, but it means without suspicion or without prejudging. The wisest people are the ones who have who will hear all the facts before making a judgment. They hear both sides of the case and they weigh that in the balance before making their assessment. It's without hypocrisy. True wisdom contains no deceit. It's sincere and open, and it's consistent with itself over time. I think that Paul summed up the quest for wisdom in 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verse 12. Don't turn there. We'll, we'll get to it in a second. Wisdom is to be sought after. Solomon said to get wisdom, and with all you're getting, get understanding. So how do you do that? It's not like it grows on trees. You can't go down to Walmart and buy some. So what do you do? How are you going to accomplish this? Well, the getting of wisdom in this life is accomplished by applying the knowledge and experience that you gain throughout this life. But we've already said that that wasn't enough. Paul knew that. And he knew that, it, that this life experience must also be coupled with godly wisdom. And that godly wisdom only comes from the Lord. So how did Paul get it? How do we get it? There's a phrase in this verse that is the exact prescription for godly wisdom. Like a lot of things in life, we get busy about the task and we lose sight of the objective. Let me turn here and read this. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. For our rejoicing is this. The testimony of our conscience that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, 
but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly, abundantly to you word. So I was just, before I read this, I was talking about how do we accomplish this? Uh, and it seems like a hard goal to achieve. And I think oftentimes the effort that we're asked to expend toward a goal doesn't seem commensurate with the outcome that we desire. I don't think anybody will doubt that Naaman sincerely wanted to be cured from leprosy. He sent his servant to the prophet to ask, what, what, just tell me what I need to do and I'll do it. I'll do anything. And he was expecting some great task that he had to perform or, or he was expecting that something big would be required of him to accomplish this. And, and it's the same way with us, I think. You think about, when you think about achievement, you know, you, you, in your mind there's some noble thing that you have to do to gain the outcome that you want. Solomon was the wisest man in the world and he made much over the getting of wisdom. So it must be reserved for the chosen few, right? No. Hard to come by? Rare? Precious? Well, not so. While it is precious and it is arguably rare, it's really simple to come by. Paul said it. In simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we've had our conversation in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. That's the key to true wisdom. It seems hard. Probably one of those things that's simple but not easy. I'll concede that. But still, if you want godly wisdom, approach the Lord simply. Approach the Lord sincerely, and you will, you'll, you'll receive it. You'll, it'll, it will develop as a part of your character. Pray for us, Chris.